Welcome to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley. Caroline won't be able to be with us today. Um, We have a really fun and interesting guest who has written a book set in one of my favorite places in the world, Sierra Godfrey, author of The Second Chance Hotel. Now, Sierra was born in Santa Cruz, California, and has lived many places, including Santorini, Greece, when she was a kid. And the Second Chance Hotel is set on a Greek island, although not Santorini. By day, she's a technical writer and has also been a graphic designer and a credentialed sports writer covering Spanish football for several online sports sites. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and two sons, as well as many, many animals. (laughs) Welcome to Writer's Voices, Sierra. Thank you so much for having me. So you have a day job as a writer. Yeah. (laughs) And when did you start doing writing novels? Um, many years ago. I think I've always written um, fiction. I've always written fiction, even when I was a kid. And I didn't start really writing full-length novels until I was around 30. Kind of had to know myself a little bit and get out of my 20s and (laughs) get all settled and um, yeah, and then I started writing full-length novels, and I was like, this is it. This is this is great, and I can't believe I haven't done this before, and, um, <clears throat> you know, it took a while for me to learn about genre and word count and what makes something commercial because I always wanted to pursue publishing. And how did you go about learning those things? The internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Twitter, early Twitter, you know, that was it back many years ago. It was such a good learning place. Um, And you met other writers and and blogs. Blogs were also very, very popular. And everybody kind of did the the blog tour um, on a daily basis. That was a wonderful source of information. So. When you talk about what makes something commercial, what like what's the key? Like the if you're gonna put it down into the most important thing, what did you? I learn? wish I had the answer. That, <laughs> I wish I had a good answer to that. It, it it's a little bit elusive. Um, you know, I think if you if you Googled that, you'd probably come up with things that are along the lines of uh, you know a, a big hook, right? You gotta have a big hook. Yes. But I don't know that that's always the case. I think it has to be something that fits an expected genre, um, whatever whatever type of um, novel anyone's writing, and it has to hit um, maybe some certain tropes. You can do tropes in a variety of ways, including fresh. Uh, hopefully, hopefully yeah, you do hopefully. them in fresh ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I think you um, you have to. You have to kind of make it clear that you know those things. And, yeah, I, I think it's the understanding of tropes and what's expected in the genre and what and read the genre. Right. So you should be well acquainted with other books that are being published in that space. The it's sort of like the old saying, you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So. What genres are you writing in? Um, I 
have, this is my second novel and the first novel is women's fiction, but the second novel is veering more towards romance and rom-com. Um, but it's kind of hovering on that. <laughs> and, um, now I'm, I'm veering straight into contemporary romance. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And do you love reading romance yourself? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. So romance books are escapism for most readers, right? And there's no better place to escape to than a Greek island. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's escapism. I think it's a sense of safety. I think it's a sense of, um, you know, what can happen. It's it's many things. Um, and yes, setting it on a Greek <laughs> island sort of amplifies all of those. It things. certainly does. And in in the uh, book, you actually kind of make a reference to the fake marriage trope. Oh, I love that trope. <laughs> and I wasn't even, I don't read a lot of romance. I've, I've read a lot of the, or I've heard a lot about the fake dating trope. Right. But I didn't realize the fake marriage trope was that. Yeah, common. or marriage of convenience. Oh, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, uh, the whole idea behind it is that the two people do eventually find that they really are in love. And, yeah. Yes. And um, but does it ever turn out the other way, or it just wouldn't work the other way? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't be a romance. <laughs> yeah, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> we need a happily ever after. Yeah, with this book, um, you know, as I said, I I love a marriage of convenience. I love a fake marriage trope. Um, and I I had wanted to write one for a while, um, but I I hadn't really come up with, you know, the idea for that yet. Um, and I and I heard the story of this couple, real life couple, who had um, been honeymooning somewhere, and they they bought the hotel where they were staying in, and um, while they were inebriated, and I <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. And what if they also also got married? <laughs> they hadn't been married, and so this story was born. And the characters, how do you? So you started with the with the plot idea yeah. first, mm -hmm. and then you came up with the characters. So how do you do that? How do you find your characters? That's a good question. I think it varies <clears throat> a little bit with each book, um, but I genuinely, I generally try to start with that plot, very loose plot, and then um, kind of just go and see where that takes me. In the first draft, the character voice isn't distinct. Um, I don't yet know what they care about deep down. I don't always know their problem or problems. And I kind of let them talk. I have to hear their voice a little bit. And um, I also have to kind of let them work out and face challenges and work out challenges before I can go back. And usually by the second draft, I'm, I have a handle on who they are. Sometimes the names don't come to me for a little bit. I'm drafting something right now. I don't I don't know the main characters' names. I just have placeholders in there. It'll come. Names are very important to me. You know, I want I want to get that right. And um, it'll come. Now, <laughs> the male character's name, but not the main. <laughs> now, in the yeah. Second Chance Hotel, Amelia's um, one of her, you know, obstacles or problems has to do with her relationship with her mother. Yes. And was that something that showed up early or did that kind of develop along the way? It developed over time. Yeah. Um, it didn't show up early. Uh, I, Amelia has some baggage 
for sure. And I wasn't sure where that came from. And actually, James was the one who had problematic family members. Um, but that didn't quite end up working. It didn't feel quite right. So I switched it up and it felt much more right for her to have baggage with her controlling mother. So um, tell us a little bit about sort of the main plot of, I mean, you told us the idea, but behind yeah. <laughs> it, but the main plot of the Second Chance Hotel. So Amelia and James um, are, have been traveling around Greece for a couple months separately. They don't know each other, and they land on a Greek island, a small Greek island that doesn't get a lot of tourists, um, and it's kind of the last stop on Amelia's tour, um, and she's going to have to go home and face some things that she's done. So she's not really looking forward to that. And the owner of the hotel, they're the only two guests at the hotel. And the only owner of the hotel is, you know, let me make you dinner every night. Let's drink. Let's have a good time. You know, go see the island together. And they do. And um, one night they get very, very drunk and accidentally get married. And then find <laughs> out they, the hotel owner has died in the night and left them the hotel. <laughs> So, and he doesn't really have any other heirs, and they've got people coming, they've got guests coming, and it turns out that a lot of the island relies on the hotel as a, you know, money source, generating source. So they, they decide, okay, well, we'll take care of the couple guests who are coming, and then we'll get out of here and leave this behind. Um, so they struggle with that a little bit. Because they get, they get hooked. They get hooked a bit. Yeah. 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 And it's a big decision, right? You yeah. Stay on a Greek island forever and, <laughs> and run, run a hotel. hotel. And um, deal with citizenship issues and visa issues, all of that. Now, you lived in Greece as a child? Yes. Now, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I lived in Santorini for two or three years. Um, and we, it was my mother and I, and it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. We had a great, community of expats that we knew, um, Greek stepfather. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, uh, an interesting and amazing place to be. Um, I haven't been back. Oh, wow. <laughs> we have a lot of friends. My mom has been back many times and we have a lot of friends who, who are still there. And, um, it's so interesting that a lot has changed. So much has changed, right? The internet has changed everything. Um, Wi-Fi changed everything, but, so much is still the same. There's still very much um, a bunch of crops that are grown and harvested and exported from Santorini. The beauty of it never changes, obviously. Right, right. Are you part Greek yourself? No. Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you could be. <laughs> I, I've been to Greece I guess just twice. I was thinking maybe three times, but I think just twice. And once was um, with my daughter, and we went to Crete, and we mm. went to Santorini, and we went to Athens and Delphi, and oh. yeah, and had a lovely time. And of course, Santorini is when you think Greek island, that's sort of what you think. Uh, yeah, and if you Google Greek islands, that's the image that comes up. Yeah. And in fact, that's the image they used on the book cover. <laughs> yes. Really Santorini back there. Yeah. Because it's so recognizable. In fact, and here's a fun fact, there's a there's a little house, there's a little domed house, and we lived underneath that. Oh, my goodness. This is a very famous view of that side of the cliff. 
when I was there, we stayed in a cave hotel. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so it's, you know, the rooms are built into the side of the hotel, inside of the cliff. And the hotel isn't, it's not like one big hotel. It's like you go to the, where you check in and then they take you down these paths and around to, to your cave room. And I will say it was very chilly in there. <laughs> it, was, it was cold and damp, but but it was you know it was fun. It was and you have this beautiful, amazing view. You have the view every day, yeah. every day. Yeah. Santorini is a volcanic island, as I'm sure you you found out with um, a slumbering volcano. You can take a boat out to the caldera in the middle, and actually there's hot springs there. You can smell the sulfur. I think the last time it hiccuped was in the 1950s. Um, with an earthquake, uh, so it's a it's a slumbering monster. Um, but the soil and therefore this this um, the, you know the cliff sides are all full of caves and the soil's very rich um, and the you know the produce that's made grown on Santorini is very different as a result. It's a very special place. Oh, I bet. Now the last time that was in maybe 2009. But the last time I was in Greece was in 2019, and I spent almost two weeks on the island of Lesbos. And Mm. this was um, during the time of the refugee crisis. It probably is still happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very sad. I met some of the people who were rescuing, rescuing the refugees as they, you know, were struggling to get ashore and trying to keep them from drowning and and um and then it was very interesting because you weren't you weren't allowed to actually help uh, like give a ride to a refugee from there to the camps they had to make their way on foot to the camps and um and i I actually did go into one of the camps and did an art project with uh with some women and kids and it was a um, a women's camp, and um, the problem was, I mean, the Greek people wanted to help these refugees, but it had driven away all the tourists, mm-hmm. and like the yeah. hotel I stayed at was practically empty, the resort that I stayed at, there was almost nobody there, and so in a way, that's kind of similar to this, not that this is why the the tourists weren't coming, but you know, they were on this island that they need that relied on tourism. Yeah, and a the, lot do, and a the, lot have to. Yeah, and the tourists weren't weren't coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now with uh, the ability to work anywhere, people can can live and work anywhere. But there's not a lot to do except with the tourism industry on a lot of these smaller islands. Um, well, Lesbos isn't small, but yeah. a lot of a lot of the islands and the cyclades, you know, across Greece, um, because agriculture was their main, you know, and farming, right? Animal husbandry yeah. was their main main pursuits. But then you have your young people who don't want to do that, and they move to the city, and they either come back or they don't. Yeah. Um, and so tourism becomes, you know, the main thing. Right. And there's some wonderful restaurants, and you know, the, yeah. the food and the. Uzo, <laughs> which yeah. plays a big part in your book. 
does. So I can't believe you didn't take the opportunity to go back there for yeah. research. <laughs> well, we had a pandemic. So. Uh, yeah, there was that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I relied on a lot of um, memories and my own material and just did research beyond that. Now, the parts of the book set in San Francisco, that's where you live. Yeah. And um, your character, Amelia, works in a tech company as a project mm -hmm. manager. So is that something that you have a lot of familiarity with? It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I've worked for a lot of tech companies in the San Francisco Bay Area and am well familiar with the corporate culture around that. So, yes. <laughs> so so what happens? What what happens to Amelia that she decides to go run off to Europe? Well, she's ill-advisedly um, <clears throat> dating one of her coworkers, or has <laughs> they've broken up, um, and he sabotages something that she's responsible for at work, which is getting the code release out. And so she, and then he, he needles her about it, and he, she throws a mug at his head. <clears throat> and um, we all know we're not supposed to throw mugs, but it was, she really enjoyed that. And... <laughs> And I have heard from many early readers that they also enjoyed reading that. <laughs> um, and she's hauled into the boss's office and fired for that because you can't do that. You can't throw. Unfortunately, no matter how no. much they may deserve it. <laughs> yeah. So we start off right away with, with this character as impulsive and in a place of unhappiness and a little desperation. Um, and she was supposed to go to she wants to travel and she was supposed to go to Paris in a couple of weeks, but the boyfriend had broken up with her and she's not doing that anymore. And so um, she's like, you know what? I just got fired. I'm going to go. I've still got <laughs> they were non-refundable. I'm going to go. So she takes off. Now, have you ever done the traveling by yourself thing? I have not. You know, I think when I was younger, I was a little, uncomfortable with the idea. I felt like, you know, I needed somebody with me to enjoy the, the trip. But as I've gotten older, I think I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> because when I when I travel, I love walking around cities. I love just looking at, you know, just walking. And um, yeah, I would love that. I could do it. How much of Europe have you seen? Not nearly as much as I should or have liked. <laughs> <laughs> because you do, you know, you do, don't write in detail about the places that she went, but you do refer to them. And yeah. are those places that you have or have not been that you're referring to? Um, have, for sure. In fact, I'm working, um, my newest project I'm working on, I'm setting it to start with in Madrid, where I have been. And, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go somewhere to write about it. There's a lot of wonderful tools out there. I was talking to um, an author, uh, Lily Chu, who uh, um, wrote, she writes wonderful K-pop romances. And she, she hadn't at that time that she'd written her book been to Korea, but she um, was talking about her process in how to describe. And there's, there's some websites out there. I can't remember. I think it's called citywalks.com or something like that. I wish I had that handier. Um, but you can, it's this project where you can walk through the streets so you can, it, and it's got cities all over the world. And it's wonderful for writers because 
I'll find it for you. Yeah. Put it in a, um, because it's, it's great. And you can do night version and day version, but it happens to be wherever anyone has gone, probably with a GoPro, right? Um, but it, it's great because if you can't get to wherever you need to write about, at least you can see on the ground you know, the people, right, the right. buildings. And Google and, Earth, you know, you can always look at Google Earth. And Google Earth, and yeah. Google Earth, of course, and the street view. And I used that a lot um, with Greece uh, because, you know, for many, many years on those islands, they didn't have the, the street view on Google Earth, but Google um, has people with backpacks and bikes now. Ah. And they get into the, smallest <laughs> and the most amazing, I mean, I feel like our whole world's been mapped by I don't know, but yeah. Um, so there's a lot of tools out there. Um, I, and, you know, you can go down rabbit holes and read about stuff. Ultimately, you really do need to see a place maybe to get the flavor. Like, for example, in Barcelona, you know, you see these, the, 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 the Catalan flag hanging from all these balconies and you kind of have to know why they're all hanging from the balconies you have to look up and you see these beautiful red and yellow flags but you need to know why everybody has those hanging down so there's there's like little bits of the city but you can talk to people about that sure yeah you're listening to writers voices and our guest today is sierra godfrey author of the second chance hotel so you set this um story on this greek island that is that you made up. It's a fictional Greek yeah. island. Yeah. Why did you decide to do that rather than on a on an actual island? Well, Santorini is the island I know best, mm-hmm. but it um, belongs to many people, <laughs> and it's also extremely crowded. So I knew going in that I needed a less traveled island, and one of the smaller ones would do great. But I hadn't been there, and I didn't want to do any island injustice by assuming a lot and I think I would have had to also I really wanted to um, set the hotel on a you know like a sort of a plunging cliff and some of those have it but I would then have to find out if cliffs were accessible and yes and also if you did set it on a real island because they're so small and the number Mm -hmm. of inhabitants is so small Somebody might think you were writing about, you know, that you'd based it on a real person. <laughs> right, right. And then yeah, you could, right. then you could have some issues. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so making up an island was like, I was like, can I even do that? Of course I can do that. Uh, <laughs> it just allowed me to control the environment in a way that I needed to for this story because the island is very small. The tourists don't come very often. There's an infrequent ferry. It's not on one of the big, you know, ferries from Athens stops. Right, right. And no um, cruise ships. And no cruise ships, which is key because cruise ships come to these islands like Santorini and they just get, you know, they pump the um, cruisers (laughs) (laughs) uh, off um, for a couple days and it's a very controlled thing, but it's constant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember on Santorini, like there, everyone would sort of breathe a sigh of relief in the evening when all the cruise ship passengers went back on the ships and Mm -hmm. kind of 
only the people, the real travelers <laughs> right. were yeah. still there and the, and the people who lived there, obviously. That's very, yeah. very true. In fact, I, I have a friend who just got back this week from a cruise in Greece, and that was exactly what she said. And she said they were, they were you know, they got off at Santorini, they took the, went up, and it was just, they didn't even have time to, to have a meal. It was just like a few hours um, where you're sort of let loose and that's it. Yeah. You can't really see the island and you can't really immerse yourself in it and take hikes and see all the amazing things, which is really, it's really a shame. (laughs) It is. Now, I haven't ever done a cruise. I've been, I've been talking about wanting to do a river cruise in Europe. Oh, I've heard those are great. And part of the reason is so that you don't have to pack up every few days when you're moving from one town to the next yeah yeah and and also when i'm traveling around europe the stressful part is when you are going from one place to the to the next Mm -hmm. they have of course wonderful train system but you still have to figure out where the train is is you have to get there on time (laughs) figuring out I, oh my gosh, the figuring out is so stressful and so hard. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, if you don't speak mm-hmm. the language and you're in a place where y- you can't assume everyone knows English and can help you. I mean, I was in, I was in Spain and in Barcelona where everyone speaks enough Eng- English because there's so many tourists and I, could, I had a hard time figuring out. I remember I was down in the train station and I'm like, there's no English <laughs> option. There's nothing. You have to figure it out. And I remember... <clears throat> that I was with a cousin and we, and maybe she spoke just enough Spanish to like piece it together on what to do. And, um, there were a ton of people there and there was this, this woman who had driven from Marseille, so from France and she was French speaker and she couldn't figure it out either. She didn't speak Spanish or Catalan. And, um, so she started asking me and my high school French. (laughs) And I'm like, this is, this is, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm here with like trying to translate with this very bad old, you know, French of mine with her, but that's all she had. And it was just, yeah. That was stressful. I have my, I have a Barcelona train story too. (laughs) And this is clear back in 1976. And I was traveling in Spain. Um, after my high school graduation with some friends and we were we were actually on a college program and we were on a college campus in Tarragona which is south of Barcelona but we decided we were going to go up to Barcelona for the day we wanted to go there's this monastery outside of Barcelona that we wanted to go to so we took the train from Tarragona to Barcelona so far so good we get off the train and we realized that there's only one way we, we figure out, we don't know till we get there, but there's only one train to get to the monastery and it doesn't go from the train station we're at. And we can't no, figure no. out how to make the connection. And so we thought, okay, we'll walk to that other station, but we didn't make it in time. So, so, okay. So we're in Barcelona for the day and we, <laughs> we went to see the sound of music in Spanish, which was kind of fun. And then we, got the train we found the train to get back to Tarragona but we so we're sitting on the train we're going along and all of a sudden the conductor comes to take our tickets 
and he starts screaming at us yelling and screaming at us and we're like why we have tickets it said we're on the train to Tarragona well we were on the express train oh. and we had bought tickets for the local train which stops oh, in every no. town no yeah <laughs> no. There's, there's no they don't have any patience for that. no no and they would and we were very poor students i'll tell you i mean i i had when i got back i had not enough money left to get from Chicago to Fairfield to Iowa, and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to get there. Luckily, one of the other kids' parents came and picked him up and gave me a ride. But otherwise, I was sort of like, how am I getting home? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I was 17, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, um, I don't know what my parents were thinking. They weren't offering to come pick me up. <laughs> And this was before cell phones, so that there was yeah, no communication. Yeah, right. You know, this, we were gone telegram. a month. There was no communication with the fa- with my right. family. So anyway, right. um, the the conductor wouldn't like let us just pay the difference between the price, the ticket prices. No, we had to buy a whole new set of. Of course, tickets. you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to say that I don't think it's um, too much improved. <laughs> I also took a I took the high speed train from Barcelona to Madrid, and that was also extremely stressful because they didn't want to sell us ticket for some reason and they have a whole online system which our hotel uniformly said no, don't use that. It's really bad. <laughs> Just go down to the train station and get on what you can, and um, you know nobody would tell us what to do it was yes very <laughs> go down to that window down there it's it, go down to window 18 okay we go down to window 18 it's closed okay <laughs> now what do we do we'll go down to window 27 that's what we told you and we're like, <laughs> <laughs> the last time i was in us, spain i um was with my daughter and her boyfriend who was a native spanish speaker he was parents were Mexican so we actually rented a car and he drove because he could understand the signs and so forth but I'm not willing to try and do that myself yeah and you know the thing about Europe is you can drive a couple hours and be anywhere else right so yeah you have to know all the languages oh yes yeah fortunately I mean we're very blessed because if there's one common language, it's, it will be English. If there's yes, one that's language right. that, peop- that people right. know, it will be English. Although I do remember sitting in Italy and having a conversation with somebody. We were trying to speak Italian. I can't remember what they were, but we both knew a little Spanish. And so we were, like, conversing in Spanish when neither one of us actually knew Spanish right. very well. Yes, like <laughs> me with the French lady. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> Well, Sierra, why don't you read us a little bit from the Second Chance Hotel? Okay. I will, um, I'll read that first chapter. All right. That talks about the mug throwing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Amelia Lang was not aiming for Micah's head when she threw the coffee mug, but if he hadn't moved, it would have hit him right between the eyes. Instead, it hit the conference room window behind him with a resounding smack. Tea dripped down the spider webs of cracks in the glass. The mug, Amelia saw with regret, had broken. It was her favorite one with whimsical travel illustrations and a gilded rim. Too bad about the tea, too. It was a fancy French blend that was hard to find. Those standing in the vicinity watched in shocked silence. Amelia's boss, severe on the best of days, looked thunderous. 
Amelia, go sit in my office. Micah had the gall to smirk as she passed. She closed her boss's office door behind her and sank into the guest chair. And then it hit her. She'd thrown a mug at someone's head. Never mind that it was Micah's head and that she, still in the flush of fury, thought he deserved it. She'd never done anything like that. Never gotten into a fistfight, never even shoved anyone. She who gently escorted spiders out of her house and always held the door open for others. Throwing a mug and cracking a window? That was irreversible evidenced by set, being set to sit in her boss's office like she was five. The minutes ticked away. She wished she was the type to escape out of the window and briefly considered becoming that person. It looked bad, she could see that. 32 years old, living with her parents again and about to be fired for throwing a mug at her ex-boyfriend's head at work. The past week had been a one-way ticket to failure, Bill. Finally, after a long stretch that suggested her boss and HR were discussing how to handle her, they came in and closed the door behind them. Amelia, her boss said, I'm sure you can appreciate the difficult situation we're in. Amelia did not appreciate anything, least of all what Micah had said straight before the mug left her hand, but she nodded. Can you explain what happened? The HR manager said. She considered how much to tell them. <clears throat> it had been a terrible morning. She'd left home late, and because she'd been running late, it was a certainty that traffic that a traffic incident on Highway 101 running south out of San Francisco into Silicon Valley slowed her down further. A car fire, no less. And if you were running late and there was a car fire on the freeway, it stood to reason that your mobile phone would be dead, so you couldn't call and let people know you'd be late. Amelia didn't even know where her charger was because it was that kind of morning. As a result, she missed most of the morning developer meeting. As she slid into the conference room, far from invisible, her boss had pounced on her. In a tone that sounded like he was sucking a lemon, he asked her what the status of the code release was. Well, it went out last night as scheduled, she said. Obviously, the code release had gone out. That was the entire point of her job. There had been a visible shuffling in the room. Amelia looked around, but nobody met her eye, including Micah, but this was no surprise. They'd broken up last week, and he'd done it in the most craven way possible, trotting out the old, I need to work on myself line. She wasn't heartbroken, not by a long shot, but they were supposed to have gone to Paris in three weeks. Amelia had been looking forward to the trip for months. Now, two non-refundable tickets and a breakup later, and they couldn't even look at each other, which was a problem considering they worked together. But there was no reason for the others to avoid her eye. A shiver of horror slid down her spine as she realized that the release had clearly not gone out. Apparently, there was a problem, her boss confirmed. Let's take this offline. Amelia, meet me in my office in five and we'll discuss. Okay, stand up sober. Everyone shot out of the room, causing a brief log jam at the door. No one wanted to be blamed for a failed code release, which would freak out the investors and send everyone panicking. There could be restructurings and layoffs, and Amelia, who was the project manager responsible for code releases, would surely be at the top of the list. She needed something to do with her hands while her boss told her off, so she made some tea, and she was almost to her boss's office when Micah rounded the corner. A little spike pounded into her chest at the sight of him. She tried not to picture how they would have settled back in their airplane seats in three weeks' time, getting magazines out for the flight, studying the emergency procedures card, hoping they wouldn't have to use the instructions. Along with not going to Paris, she'd had to move back in with her parents across the bay, a fate worse than death. So it was fine that he wasn't talking to her. She didn't want to talk to him either. Except he stopped in the hall as she passed. 
I can't believe you didn't get the coat out, he said. The cheek of him. I can't believe you walk around with that reptile face. She regretted the words as soon as they were out. They made her sound angry, which she was, but he didn't need that satisfaction. He shook his head as though disappointed by her childishness. You're supposed to run the final check before it deploys. I did, she hissed. Why was he needling her? Unless there was something. What are you suggesting? I'm suggesting that it's your job to run the deployment check and you didn't. Nothing has changed since 6 p.m. yesterday. As soon as she said those words, she knew. Micah had stuck something in the code after hours, knowing that her parents' house had terrible Wi-Fi because they refused to upgrade their equipment or plan. It was like living in prehistoric dial-up times and she wouldn't be able to check after hours. But she had made that code sure that code was solid before leaving work. Your job is to perform a check right before deployment, not leave it until the day before and call it good. He blinked and squinted all at once, which looked like a facial tick. But Amelia knew better. It was the same squint he'd used when he was breaking up with her or when he was lying. She'd seen that blink squint a lot in the past few months. She knew he'd crashed the release on purpose. Two years with this horrific ass face, one living with him. She'd supported him as he took classes to advance at his job, supported him as, wait, 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 that was it. She'd taken a full stack engineering certification course a few months ago, passing with flying colors. She was proud of it because it was damned hard. Not because she wanted to become a developer, God no, but it, became, it gave her a deeper understanding of their work and put her in a prime spot for promotion. Micah, who suffered from a light case of tech broism, had decided he needed the certification too, except he'd failed the final and he worked as a developer. She was sure he'd broken up with her as a result. Not that he'd said that, never, but his I need to work on myself line was suspiciously timed with news that he'd failed the course. Now he was sticking pieces of crap in the code and crashing it on purpose. No one would believe her, of course, and it would be easy for him to make it seem like she was a hysterical spurned ex. She squeezed the handle of her mug to tamp down her anger. Their boss's door flew open behind them. Amelia, let's go. I need to know what happened with this deployment. It's pretty obvious what happened, Micah said loudly, virgin on yelling. His eyes were on Amelia's glittery and mean. Amelia went home last night and assumed the code was fine. She didn't bother running the final check, so if somebody added a piece of code, she wouldn't have known and it crashed. She always makes developers here feel rushed because she wants to get home to dinner. And that's when the mug left my hand, Amelia told HR now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sierra. That's Sierra Godfrey reading from the Second Chance Hotel. So Sierra, when you sit down to write, do you write from start to finish? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, so chronological, yeah. or and and um, the book isn't always necessarily in chronological order because there can be some flashbacks and things like that. Right. But um, do you go like a, an entire first draft and then go back to edit? Is that your method? Yeah, or do I mean, you... I'm not I'm not very stringent about it, so um, I will spend a lot of time on the beginning because I'm getting to know, I'm sort of feeling my way through mm -hmm. who these people are and what they're doing. And um, also the feeling that I know the first draft is going to completely change and it's not a great first draft. 
um, and that first chapter especially is always sort of a rough entry, and that's fine. Um, sometimes I'll write what I think are very dramatic emotional points and like a midpoint, um, but I only if I sort of know what, what that's going to be. I, I generally know the, the plot, the overall plot, but I don't know the specifics, um, and I never know the sort of finale, the climactic finale. So You I never know the finale. It. I know how it will end, but I don't know how it gets there. Oh, right. interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're learning as you go. I'm learning about the people as I go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll go back and edit, but a lot of times I just want to get through most of the draft, usually about 75%. I get through about that much and I figured out what I'm doing. <laughs> and do you do any, so you don't do any outlining? Um, you know, I, the, my latest project I did, I oh. did do outlining, but then I abandoned it. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, always have, I always have outlining and plotting best intentions. I really do. <laughs> um, and then they usually fall apart, but I, I'm okay with that because I like to let it flow and see where it goes. Right. I want it to be, I want to have that openness. Have there been times, like when you're writing this book, something that um, that you wrote that then completely changed, like cut this whole section out? Oh, yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And in the Second Chance Hotel, it actually starts with her. I originally started with her landing um, on the island. Oh. And so we don't even see any of how she, she got there. Um and it was during the editorial process, I think my editor was like, you know, I'd love to see that first chapter of, of her leaving, which, and I wrote it and I, I thought, yes, this makes a lot of sense. We did need that little bit of grounding. Yes. And what about the relationship with her friend, Ella? Yeah. Was that always there or was that something that kind of showed up later in the process? It was always there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was important to have to, for her to be the anchor. Yeah. The emotional anchor in yeah. her previous life. <laughs> At what point, so this, this is your second published novel. Yeah. Right. Had you written others before that did not get published? Oh, yes. <laughs> Many. <laughs> Many. Yeah. So what, what happened with them? Uh, well, they're, they were not good. <laughs> Um, they were my learning novels. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, the first couple novels I wrote were me finding my footing, um, learning what plot is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that you might ever go back and rework those now that you know more? No. Um, you know, the, I had written one that was set in Greece, actually, in Santorini. And so I always kind of knew that I had a, a novel in me that I wanted to set in Greece. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so I kind of I kind of went back to that. But none of you know, I, I feel like I've moved on from. So I have to ask when you but, were working on those, like when you got to yeah. the end of one of those, did you think at the time that it was good? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> 
Yeah. Or, you know, actually, let me revise that. I, I hoped that they were good. I, I right. suspected they were okay. I mean, I had beta readers and I got feedback and I queried them. And I, you know, I tried to find a, an agent with them and was roundly rejected on those, rightly so. But I couldn't see that at the time. And I think um, one of the differences now is I can see where something is good, whereas uh, before I had hoped it was. Ah. You can't really see it. Okay. Okay. When you wrote your the first book that got published and the title of that, remind me again. A Very Typical Family. A Very Typical Family. When you were writing that, did you know this is the one, this is different, this is better? Um, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that book took a lot of um, plot changing as well. It took a couple of years of going from one thing to totally another. Um, but what happened is I, I actually found representation with another novel, um, and my agent um, submitted that, and it didn't sell. Um, and in retrospect, I can see why. Um, it wasn't quite ready. It wasn't quite fair. Um, and I started writing a very what became a very typical family. And my agent um, gave me a round of edits on it. And I really began massaging it in earnest and finding a very strong plot with it. Well, I say very strong, but I will say strongest compared to what I had written. And then my agent left the business oh. entirely. So I had to find new representation, but at least I had a full manuscript to query with. Right. And then I with my, my current agent with that. Do you think if you hadn't found that earlier agent that you would have kept going? Um, you, if she hadn't left the business? You no, I mean, if you hadn't found her in the first place, to somebody who said, who believed in you enough yeah. to say, I'll try and sell this, and right. then worked with you on the on a very typical family and, and helped yeah. get make that better. Would you yeah, have, kept, I would have kept going? You would have kept yeah. writing? Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I'm always looking to chase that high of, of writing a story. I love it. Love when I'm doing that. So the writing itself is it, not just the publishing, but the writing itself is what brings well, you joy. Well, if you asked me that last year, I would have said, oh, the publishing is, you know, so great. But publishing is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very, it's, it's a difficult industry and there's, uh, it's difficult. Um, yeah. there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and there's not a lot that's not in your control as the author. And, um, yes, you've really got to come back to really loving that, the writing process. And that's what I remembered. That's good. <laughs> Looking back that's to good. them, like, actually, yeah, this is the point. <laughs> now, are both your books from published by the same publisher? Yes. And that's source books, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about who they are and, and what kind of um, how you work with them. Uh, so Sourcebooks is uh, uh, an independent um, woman owned publisher that's been around for um, many years. And I think they're, I don't know, maybe the seventh or eighth largest in the you know country. Um, and <clears throat> um, the editor I worked with um, is wonderful. And she she edited both both novels. Um, obviously, they they gave me a two book deal based on a very typical family, 
Um, and then the Second Chance Hotel was the second novel, and I had to sort of turn that in on a deadline. So it was a little bit of a different process. Oh, because, wow. Yeah, you have to write and turn that in by a certain date. And luckily, I'd had most of it written by then. Um, but it was a very different thing to write to a deadline like that. Now, is that un- I think that's fairly unusual for a debut novelist to get a two-book contract. Um, I think it depends on the publisher. Okay. Or, or maybe I was just very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they really wanted, they really wanted book two. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that they aren't quite exactly the same genre, because I would have maybe expected them to put more pressure on you to stay in a genre. They do want me to, did want me to do that for sure. I mean, when I had that initial call with my editor for, before they offered for a very typical family, of course, they asked that question, you know, what have you, do you have anything else? And what do you want to continue writing? Because a lot of writers want to write in different genres. Yes. Some don't, that's yeah. fine. I, I don't, I want to stay with romance. And, um, but a very typical family wasn't romance and um, it has a romantic plot line in it, but it's not the primary thing going on by any means. And so I said, um, yes, you know, I have uh, another sort of women's, fiction commercial kind of thing um and i i i you know it's very interesting it is more rom-commy and romance than um the other ones certainly but they they were fine with it (laughs) (laughs) or maybe it was too late i don't know got lucky when you um first got your the finished book in your hand how did that feel oh amazing amazing (laughs) yes amazing and seeing it in a bookstore for the first time also was another milestone yes because I love bookstores bookstores are my happy place I walk in and it's like (laughs) and so to be in there to have me in there is just incredible now you have two kids I do two boys have they read your no (laughs) no do you think they ever will (laughs) i don't know how how old are they 17 and 12 okay well 17 certainly old enough to yeah but probably not right the type of book most 17 year olds want to read right right (laughs) especially not Ooh, mom (laughs) yeah you know i'm always fascinated when um actors talk about that and people say oh do your kids watch your films especially if they've had a lot of films and they're like no they don't want to see their and i I don't know maybe they can't separate their parent from the the product yeah i would think so yeah yeah do you think you would ever write something that would be more geared towards boys probably not if you're going to stick with romance yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's just not where my passion yeah yeah what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to break in as a published writer? Um, so read widely in the genre that you want to write in. Um, read as much as you can. Pay attention to what you like and pay attention to what you don't like. Um, and, uh, yeah, and know that there's a lot of rejection and none of it's personal. It's a business. And if you give up, then you don't get there. So giving up under the weight of all that is not going to make you succeed. (laughs) 
just yeah. doesn't. And I and obviously one thing that you learned is that probably your writing's not perfect. Right. And can be improved. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So you need to listen to people telling you how to improve it. Yeah, and it's really hard to find that ability in you to listen. Um, yes. It's, you have to sort of hone that, paying attention. Right, and you also have to figure out who to listen to and who not to because everybody's yeah. going to want to give you advice, and sometimes right. it's not the right advice. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I had a writing group, an in-person writing group, early, early on, and um, they didn't like what I was writing, which was more romance-oriented, and um, so therefore they were like, this is not great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's not that's not the right feedback, but exactly. it took me a little while to figure that out. I had a writers group that actually gave very good feedback for a long for many years a long time ago, but one time a new person came to it and he didn't like the theme of my book. He didn't like what I was writing about and and mm -hmm. so it's like, "Well, you should do this and this and this and this." And it was like, "Well, that's a whole different book. That's not this right. book at all." That that's that not was what I'm doing. Yeah, that was the most useless, you know, feedback yeah. I, or critique that I'd ever had. So, yeah. So, and sometimes, you know, you'll if you have three people read the book, two people are going to say, "Well, I don't like this part," and the third person is going to say, "This is the best thing that you. This is the best part of the book." And so, right. When you get that, you just have to use yeah. your own judgment. <laughs> Yeah, and there's different types of feedback <clears throat> that you can get, right? Some people just want to copy edit or they don't know how to do much more than that, and that's fine. Sometimes that's really needed, but sometimes you just want a general development edit and you just want to hear does this do the plot parts of the plot make sense? I don't care if you don't like the plot, but do the, the Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's hard that's hard also. You have to really trust people enough people <laughs> but do get feedback I mean for sure for sure and I remember hearing early on years and years ago um, you know this myth that you either know what you're doing as a writer and you can't you can't really improve on it or or you're there or you're not and I don't think that's true at all I think you can absolutely improve I know I did um, the first novel I wrote was like a hundred and 60,000 words. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> terrible. I didn't know anything. But that's how you learn, is by doing that's it. How you learn. Yeah. Yeah, you have to iterate. Writing novels is hard. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> how it long, takes a long time. How long does it take you now with the expertise that you've developed, do you think, to go from, like, from start to end of your first draft? Two months. Two months. Wow, that's yeah. fast. That's fast. That's, that's fast. really fast. Yeah. But then what I have learned about myself is I have to let it sit. Uh, I'm way too close to it. <clears throat> and, you know, I'll set it out for, for reads. And, uh, but I need that space. So ideally what you want is like a month or two, two preferably to be away from it and come back to it. Okay, then you come and back to it. Time, <laughs> yeah, and every time I do that, I'm like, I don't need two months to come back to it. I need a couple days at most every time I do this. <laughs> and I'm wrong. I'm wrong every time I need that space. So. Okay, so you come back after two months, hopefully, and then 
how long is the editing process? Well, that depends. Ah. <laughs> that depends. Um, it shouldn't be as long then. Usually that two months does include a couple rounds of drafts. Okay. So yeah, I'm very, I'm a very fast writer, drafter. Okay. Very fast. So drafter. you can, you could do more than a book a year. Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I you could. could, but you know, once you, you factor in baking in the editing process and I mean, I guess it depends where it ends up, right? You can't do that for traditional publishing. Hmm. It takes a year to really get a, a traditionally published book out by the time you're working with um, edits from your editor, which are usually developmental edits, and then uh, copy edits and proofreads and all of the pieces that go into that. Um, but yeah, I could. Yeah. Is that, do you have um, like a, a goal to, you know, certain number, like, do you want to do a book a year or every two years? I'd love or to. You would? I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to do a book a year. I, I, but you know, nothing about traditional publishing is stable. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, there's no, there's no givens or guarantees. So it's whatever really happens. And you have to sell books. You have to keep selling books. Yes. To publishers, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, you have to do awesome. shows like this. You have to do appearances. You have to go to, writing you have to promote conferences yeah. and festivals and book yeah. book, fe book festivals and what yeah do you, and that's the yeah. fun part but yeah you have to make sure you take that time for promoting so if you have a book that just came out you should not be writing then yeah although i was yeah, <laughs> yeah. so when when is uh the second chance hotel is it out it's out it's yes, out it came out september 12th okay and what kind of feedback have you gotten from readers um, you know, I try not to look at reviews because they're <laughs> rough to see when they're not great. Um, and it's, I don't want to listen to, to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have looked at them, you know, that's the reality is authors look at them, people, pe real people look at them. Um, but you know, well, that's fine. <laughs> um, but I have heard from a lot of people, good things too, which is that, um, that, you know, that reading it transported them to Greece. People want to go to Greece as a result. Um, oh. It sounds like I got the notes of Greece, right? Oh. The, the sounds, the smells, the feel, which is so good. And um, that's, you know, that's actually the greatest compliment. And um, the, my first novel, A Very Typical Family, is set in Santa Cruz, California, which is a uh, little beach town. And that's where I'm from originally. And um, it was very important to me to get those details right about mm -hmm. the, the town and the city. Um, but I, I put in details that mattered to me as somebody who has lived there. And I heard nothing but good things from people who are living in Santa Cruz or familiar with Santa Cruz. And um, that was also <laughs> So place, plot, character, they're all important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Sierra. And I enjoyed um, the Second Chance Hotel. It was it's really fun to read. And, and I love Greece. And a lot of people do. And we always yeah. end with the quote. And I have a quote from Henry Miller. It takes a lifetime to discover Greece, but it only takes an instant to fall in love with her. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and true. Yes. So true. That's lovely. Oh, well, thank you. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. (laughs) And see you all next week on Writer's Voices.